What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and welcome to episode 32.5 of Behind the Daw, where we usually interview artists and music industry experts on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic level. But as you notice, this is a 0.5 episode. And on these episodes, we take the audio from our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite artists to dissect their songs in real time, and we put it in a podcast form so you can partake of it and listen to it on the go and get that perfect combination of emotional and technical knowledge. And the best part of all of this is that it's free forever, no matter what. Our only request is that if you enjoy this podcast and it's really helping you along your musical journey, go ahead and check out the Behind the Daw Patreon and consider supporting the channel for just $1 a month. If you have any feedback, questions, comments, concerns, or you just want to talk, you can contact me at Wyatt at BehindTheDaw.net. All right, Daw Nation, let's get into it. I want to welcome everyone to this week of In the Daw. We have Fitch. How you doing, man? good to be here and we have multiplier back he was on a vacation for a very long time we all got sad and depressed but now we're happy how was vacation man it was really good i mean literally we couldn't sleep in the house the first day because there was a bat flying around in the airbnb oh. on night three we were in the living room in the evening and the batch started flying around so we, we had to run away <laughs> and then we changed it otherwise good yeah to make that fun in post editing i'm going to add a bat onto your little screen right there and i'm going to have it moving slowly from left to right we're so happy to have you fitch and we're happy to have you back multiplier don't forget to go check out the in the dog behind the dog patreon uh there's a bunch of cool stuff prices start at five dollars a month you get a bunch of amazing things and if you're really into it there's an option where you can come on in the DAW with us and interview amazing people like Fitch and ask them questions and meet them and it's amazing. I really like how even though the main bit of the track was almost like completely different elements to the intro and, and the break it still kind of felt like it was the same song because I've experienced it myself and it's one of those common things I get asked where like how, how, how do you take like loops and then combine it into one thing that doesn't sound like three different tracks so I suppose my question is how do the tracks start and then yeah how did you make the main section work with the, with the interest the process wasn't really like straightforward there was like a different track first so what happened was I made a seed which was like the drop itself the dun, 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 just the main melody and it was kind of just uh, isolated just the drop on its own and I was at my friend's house uh, while I was studying at uh, Berkeley College of Music. And these guys are um, also producers. And kind of as I was doing it, uh, they started getting involved. And then Max Chen, this guy who also produces, decided to kind of get on it. And we were uh, collaborating on this track. And we did a full first version with his vocals. He wrote the vocal part. So it was a completely different track, except for the drop, which was like the same. And then I wasn't satisfied with the track at the end. And like we chopped it around for a bit and I didn't feel like it was done. There was something that wasn't right with it for me. And I have a trouble putting things out when I'm not like 100% with it. So I kind of went back to the drawing board, took the initial seed that I had, which was this drop that's in here, redid everything else, obviously talked to Max about it, decided to just do my own version. And then that's what we did. And I think the reason why it ends up being actually still coherent throughout the whole thing is because I had a second to kind of step back, see the idea and see how I would make the rest of the track work with that drop. So I really kind of had that in mind as I was working on it. The drop is what actually just everything kind of trickled down from that, the melodies that come before 
for and everything came from the general drop idea and the vibe of the drop. I just wanted something to go into that. So it's like each section is is like a part of a cohesive thing instead of like how Multiplier was saying. It's like this feels like three different songs within a minute. The way that you're saying that you do it is that you take elements from the drop and kind of like very gently put them in the different parts to make it nice. actually i i should probably rephrase that like it's more fundamentally just how like i write it a lot of my songs start as like a guitar part like literally just on a guitar like i'll do uh, all of this like all the notes that are in here i'll like play them so it'll just be like a guitar track and then i'll write a vocal to that and then i'll produce that but then basically the melody that the guitar is playing on the drop i'll put it in the lead the bass that the guitar is playing i'll make a bass and then like it ends up working out because fundamentally the seed that i'm taking is one coherent song like one coherent guitar piece that sounds good on its own all the like harmonies flow into each other the melodies work with each other and then when i go into the production stage i can actually have an overview of how the whole thing's going to look and then i can i guess choose sounds that you know fit with each other but there's really not a short answer for it which is kind of why i'm a little confused but it i think honestly it starts just from a coherent melodic idea coherent like musical idea and then producing it as like a next stage to that. Not kind of writing as I'm in the production stage, but writing before and then going in and producing that idea. Basically has the same melodic DNA no matter where you are in the song. And that's kind exactly, of exactly. Since I'm not looking so much, but I know how I want it to sound, it's much easier to find things that work. Because often like when you're figuring out the music of it and the sounds at the same time, I used to work like that. And and I remember it was, uh, it was confusing. And that's when I would run into issues where like my drop sounded completely different and all of a sudden it's like wait and now we're here and then I was trying to kind of blend between two sections that didn't really fully match and things like that so I definitely feel that struggle so I changed my workflow to to kind of to deal with that what was that uh, really light yellow group yeah I froze all that because it's all the vocals there's just a lot of layers honestly but it's all my vocals except for two harmonies that are sung by my production partner who does my lyrics actually what we'll do is i'll write a guitar part and or or a piano part or whatever just an instrumental part which is usually on an instrument because then i know that it flows and then i'll write a vocal melody and then i'll literally send him just the guitar part with like a piano melody on top he will like go in we'll talk about like a concept or whatever but usually he gets that from the vibe of the actual song and then he'll actually put lyrics in and then we talk about that and and kind of flush it flush it out when i get it back i basically have a full vocal part then i record a demo with you know the guitar and the vocal and then i produce that and then in this case when i actually have the production by the end usually i re-record the vocal part which just sounds really confusing but once we've kind of gone through it and i have the song after i've had the seed and everything and everything like i go back in and kind of re-record the vocal part on top and that's like one of the last things i do before like just the final master and everything and mix and master but this is this is just the vocal groups and then i have some ooze like some ahs and stuff down here like That's the chorus. We can't wait for heaven to open so by having like a bunch of layers, you can kind of like smooth over the vocals, but it's a very tedious like task. As you can see, like I don't use like vocal line or whatever the Pro Tools guys have. They have like, it just kind of aligns the vocal to a reference vocal. I actually go in and like, you know, chop, chop it all 
and fit it all like it's a nightmare it takes a long time and and a lot of these layers are quiet and so but it adds depth and it makes it seem really full but it still sounds like one vocal you see what i mean and that's why people get confused and they think oh it's just one vocal layer and then they can't get their vocals to sound a certain way because it sounds a little thinner or they're trying to really like compress it and distort it to make it bigger but it just doesn't sound the same and it's just we can't wait for it's like layers here layers here layers in the center layers like here some are an octave up some of uh, some are just formatted up in like melodyne or things like that but yeah those are the vocals is that a double track vocal so like literally a different take on the left or the right sometimes or yeah oh they're all different takes yeah so this is the that's the thing like also I don't want any kind of like phasing or like weird stuff like if the only time i'll use like the same like vocal part and and layer it is if i'm doing like parallel effects in parallel like distortion and, and things like that which are really over i would really want to overdo it and color it on a separate channel but otherwise it's when i do a formant up like one octave up formant so then it's nice to use the same one because the formant makes it still different enough that it doesn't phase in a weird way and also it's exactly perfectly in time so i don't get like this weird thing where like the formant did vocal is slightly off and then i'm trying to time that if it is slightly off and i'm using a separate take for a formant um, channel, then I'll use a gate and I'll put the input of the gate as the actual main vocal. That way, when the main vocal is playing, the formant layer comes in. But then if it ever like is a little longer than the note or anything, it just kind of cuts out exactly when the main vocal uh, is. is. Is the processing on the, on the vocal uh, mm-hmm. different in the beginning to later on in the track or, or is that just different layers and stuff? So one thing I have to explain also is once I finish the actual mix, I bounce everything out, all the stems, I throw it into Pro Tools, and then I do a cleanup of like the final mix. So like I mix it twice almost kind of thing. Getting back to your question, I think more so I do automation on volume and things like that, like subtle little automations and and reverbs sometimes, but it's mostly through the sends like automating these sends over here. I think it's more just other layers coming in, like more supporting layers coming in the main parts and things like that. I, I kind of guessed, uh, it looks like correctly that there was some subtle distortion or, or saturation on, on the vocal at the beginning, which I thought was really nice. Mm. I, I find that something, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of saturating vocals, but it, especially for a vocal like this, I find it super hard to get that balance just right. Like if it's an aggressive vocal, you can- Yeah, I'm using this ping pong delay which is kind of making it sound metallic and like it's coming through a megaphone. It almost adds like a little bounce to it because it's just like a few, like just a few milliseconds and it's like around 1K and it adds like almost a little like metallic, like twinge, like a little drive on it, but it's just a delay. (laughs) It's just a ping pong. And it also adds width to it, which is... I guess not so necessary because I have a bunch of layers out wide, but just, I guess it adds another. I guess it also makes the central, like the main vocal, lead vocal channel just a little more present. Like it just doubles it on both sides. But since it's delayed, it doesn't like phase in an annoying way. What is the beginning piano? Where, what, what piano is that? Because that is beautiful. That is the gentleman. Here, let me unfreeze it. What a, what a my go-to. It's my go-to, man. Do you know what velocity that is as well? Because I find getting the velocity right super cool. Dude, that's what people get wrong, man. 
the velocity. I hear so many people doing piano parts with MIDI and just not taking care of the velocity. And then basically like, it just sounds like a MIDI piano, but it's not, here's the velocity. It doesn't, it's not because of like a crappy MIDI, like, you know, synth or, or whatever. And sometimes it is, sometimes it is definitely, but I think, uh, you know, the native instrument stuff, there's a bunch of good pianos out there now, even free ones that sound half decent, but you got to actually play them or you got to like move the velocities. And uh, so I think this is played, but yeah, cause you can see the timing's kind of. Oh, that's what, that's what adds such like flavor to it though. That's what I didn't get. Like when I, when I used to use pianos, it was very like you know, kind of drawn in MIDI notes and it sounded a certain way every time. And I, I took piano lessons and still it didn't strike me. Like I didn't understand that fact. It's almost like being in Ableton, you kind of forget what you're doing and forget that it's just like music to begin with. So every element should be like, you know, dynamic and have like expressivity. You can't just like, it's not because it's production that you just like pluck everything at like 127 and then, you know, hope for the best. Do you do anything to the patch with the gentleman or is it just you pull up the gentleman and then you you go you go to town there's nothing i mean okay eq let's see high pass at 100 so n- nothing special there compression is it even compression yeah but like the tiniest little bit i don't even know maybe it was for certain notes yeah super light compression like i mean i could i wouldn't even call it compression it's so light and then this is just a filter and Ableton Reverb, man, it's like nothing, nothing. The gentleman. How did you do your, you might call them 808s in the drop? Do you separate mm-hmm. the transient, the front bit from the tail? So there are layers to the to the actual kick. This is like the actual sub layer, which is nothing too. It's just a basic sign. Um, this is the part you're actually hearing that that actually emphasizes the kick so with it so yes i do separate the transient and the bass i separate things in layers up and like horizontally so obviously the kick is what takes like center so is that 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 layer oh there's another layer look at that you see what i mean like so just the kick in the sub with that other layer adds so much like when I go into Pro Tools, one of the things I do in the final like mix stage or whatever is I'll manually like get the clicks out and like make sure that it's clean, like where the side chains are. I'll actually delete clips and like, you know, make fades and whatever. Cause this clicks and like it, it does its job while I'm in here and like doing side chain in here. But then like for the final thing, I don't want there to be any noise. And like the only way to be 100% sure of that is to have everything in audio and to cut all the audio or like to literally make that space with volume. So that's how I would side chain those. But yeah, the kick, the kick is, is a whole bunch of layers that makes it sound like that. And then there's a crunchy like... Which like, it's crazy because it's almost like adding the high end on top of everything is, uh, it makes the low end deeper. It almost makes it sound fatter just because it gives you like, 
the extremes, like the whole spectrum. Why do you uh, do an extra mix down inside of Pro Tools? Do you know who George Massenberg is? Okay, George Massenberg is like a big kind of engineering and like kind of at the forefront of like hardware innovation and music, but also just, you know, if you check his track record and stuff, he's just done big mixes and, and been kind of in the industry and in that like engineering kind of community. But he um, he came to give a seminar at Berkeley when I was studying there. And these guys are real like Pro Tools nuts. You know what I mean? They all like, they don't think that you can do any like real music (laughs) outside of Pro Tools. And like that it wouldn't be serious basically that you have to get for a mix. And I'm talking about a mix. Obviously like there are things Ableton allows us to do that Pro Tools doesn't. But for mixing purposes, they said, and this was shocking to me, but they said Pro Tools sounds better than Ableton, right? So I thought that was ridiculous and I've heard that in the past before, but I know it's just one of these things that people fight over, but I didn't think there was any substance to it. And then I started kind of investigating. Basically, like I started just experimenting and being like, how can this be true? Because these guys are like really like they've had careers, they've had long, successful careers. And they're, you know, he was talking about recording audio and working in 192K sample rate and things like that. So he was talking about ridiculous things that like I wouldn't consider. But then this was quite like a basic thing that I thought if this really makes an impact. I definitely want to know about it. And plus I was thinking about, you know, a lot of the guys in electronic music, like higher up are having their stuff mixed or there's someone taking a look at it and they're probably bouncing stems and things like that. So I thought, "Mm, maybe there's something here. And then when I actually did it, I thought I heard a very subtle difference, which could have been psychological, but I did think I heard a difference. But then basically what I realized was it actually adds so much because you take something that's already clean, that's already cleaned up, like pretty much as far as you could do it, but you have a million plugins running and it's just eating your computer CPU and it's this whole complex thing with a ton of automation on everything and you kind of are reluctant to add a filter here, a filter there because you just see all these plugins everywhere. And I realized that by putting things in Pro Tools, like I was, I just had a different, like I, I kind of approached it with a, at a clean slate, like fresh perspective. I could see all the reverb tails exactly where they are. I could see any clicks. I could like, you just like, you can go in with like a microscope, you know what I mean? And, and, and it, and it's added time and it's added like process. But the other thing that I love is like, it'll open up, you know what I mean? Every time, like I, I can take that project onto any computer and the stems are easy to bounce out all the, there's no plugins to run anymore. And all the sound is in it. So I could re redo a mix if I ever wanted to like and and it's scary to go back to an Ableton project and have you know plugins not open and like you know now I'm switching to Ableton 10 and I still don't have everything running and it's kind of like it was scary to try to open this up in Ableton 10 but I kind of worked with some finagling but yeah so the Pro Tools thing just it just really made an impact on the mix and this is why I kept it whether it's Pro Tools itself whether it's what I end up doing in that extra process. I don't know. But in the final master, every time I got to the final mastering stage, the mix that had been like, you know, gone through the extra stage was just like ready. You know, I don't have anything on the master here. And like when I'm mixing, I really don't mix with a limiter on my master or anything. I don't put anything pretty much on my stereo bus until I'm mastering because I do the master. So then I basically get, you know, the big reveal when I'm in the mastering 
uh, stage and like I kick the limiter and then everything is like out of place and the bass is too loud and everything. And I realized that by going through the extra step, like everything was like ready, basically, like with a limiter, it already sounded mastered, like because I had just taken such care at every stage. The big takeaway that I'm that I'm getting from you is that maybe it does make you sound better. Maybe it doesn't. But really, like for you, psychologically, to be able to get your stems into a different environment, into a different DAW, that just kind of like uh, creation's over. Let's mix. Let's master. Let's get it out. And that's really what kinda... it just gets so complicated, man. It gets so convoluted. You know, and like this, and I try to keep it clean so that I can navigate it like quickly and stuff. But, and this isn't the worst one, but you know, there's 117 channels in here and like, it's a lot of different stuff, a lot of different things drawn in. And when I can, and you, you can't see, I all, a lot of this stuff is MIDI, you know, all this stuff is MIDI Mm -hmm. played in and stuff. So I don't see the sound. I don't see how it looks, but when I have only audio tracks and they're all open on one big screen, I can just like see the song, you know what I mean? And it's just, it's definitely psychological. And, and I don't really know if in terms of, you know, the actual product, like the way these programs work, whether it does, you know, have an impact on the sound. I've heard that basically when Ableton is using a high CPU output, it will try to keep in in favor of like latency it'll like de- degrade a little bit just to get the you know last bit of performance out of it whereas pro tools wouldn't do that i don't know i've heard all sorts of things a lot of them can be complete myth but in the end i realized that just going through that extra stage was sounding better and then once i started doing it it was just i just kept doing it really i think certainly for the sort of music we make where we're using plugins uh, and samples that are at this more normal sample rate and stuff i don't think there's really a fidelity increase. I mean, I'm sure if you started off with everything recorded at the crazy high sample rate, yeah. um, and using certain headphones, and you got and you had experience with years, you might just about be able to hear a difference. Right. I think the psychology Absolutely. of kind of restarting and just seeing everything fresh shouldn't be discounted as being like a non thing because it's yeah. it's as important as as anything else. I mean, I find it's sometimes even as simple as just saving a new project and changing the colors can like genuinely make you see the project in a new way. So used to seeing the track in a certain way, just kind of having a fresh fresh perspective, I think super useful, Uh, especially when it's all bounced out to audio. You find oftentimes you can just like delete entire sections that maybe you didn't need that background washy thing flowing in the back. It's really, really cool. And and it's it's probably worth noting as well for those who maybe loosely heard the idea that Ableton doesn't sound very good. That used to be the case seven or eight years ago. Like there was, genuinely like uh, like a computer science difference between some aspects of Ableton and certainly mm-hmm. like Pro Tools and some aspects of Logic. But like nowadays, Ableton's the biggest, most expensive company uh, and yeah. they literally hire the best scientists in the world to engineer this stuff. And you find that plugins and even the Ableton stuff built in uh, up samples to a higher sample rate when it's necessary. So you'll see on like FabFilter mm-hmm. stuff, I think, oversampling yep. buttons and oversampling buttons in Ableton. And even like Serum does it automatically. So yeah, I think it's just worth clearing it up for people that may have read some forum posts that are 10 years out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that would make sense. And and I think based on our use to like a different industry and I think that like impressions definitely last and just the way that, you know, the rest of the talk would let me suggest they don't have a lot of experience in Ableton. And I think this is something like a misconception that has now stayed. Maybe there was some truth to it, but I definitely, you know, 
I'm listening to Ableton 10 and, and I couldn't imagine like what is really noticeably, you know, doing a difference in sound than like Pro Tools. It's, and, and plus, if I'm rendering things out of Ableton into Pro Tools, then it can't be that because it's anyways just a rendered thing out of Ableton. Like, why would it sound different? You see what I mean? I think it's more psychological and I think it's more, you know, going back with a clean slate and with a little EQ here, a little more compression here, a little reverb pill cut here, like those things add that last five percent which is significant actually definitely and it's worth worth noting that ableton's always updating the algorithms for stuff even if people don't realize it so Mm. i noticed the difference in the limiter quality from Mm. nine to ten even uh and they didn't didn't even mention it because it's just one of those things that i suppose they almost don't want to draw attention to it potentially some situations not sounding perfect but um i mean it is used by I think Beatport measured it at 80% of all users of DAWs use Ableton. So like they have all, all the money in the world to hire the best people. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, they've grown so much. Totally. Mm-hmm. I also think it's important to note that, you know, like these people that came and gave you this talk, and I've heard that too, you know. I was gonna do an internship at a studio one time and I said a new Ableton and they're just like, it was like, they looked at me like a child at that point. They're like, how dare you bring up that word in our studio? I also think one of the biggest factors to their judgment is that, you know, like, they're just used to that. You love the things you get used to, right? So, I mean, we could equate it to like, what if in 30 years people are producing music through glasses, right? They just put glasses on and they just have to look at stuff. And when they look at stuff, it does whatever they want, right? And, and then us, we're like, no, dude, how are you not doing this with a computer? This doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound as good. And so it could. We'll be the old guys like, yeah. where's your limiter? Yeah, <laughs> We used to have this thing like in Ableton. Where, where is that? When you work on things for so long and associate feelings with them and the memories and it's just, it gets, it gets really messy really, really quick. But yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I thought it was that kind of debate because you get sentimental about like the thing that, you know, especially these guys who made like fruitful careers out of, you know, the engineering and stuff would definitely, they have a relationship with Pro Tools. It's like, you know, it's their instrument. It's like a whole thing. So of course you become like what you're saying about memories and everything. You become sentimental about these things and it's hard to separate, hard to get an objective overview of like the sound between these two things because one, you don't know at all and the other one you've used for, you know, 20 years. So it's So on the downbeat of the drop and then so you have your kick and then you have, you know, a bass style sound that kind of really kind of rings out is that made from native instruments form no it's not (laughs) there's a form layer but i already showed you what the form layer was here form is doing this it's a layer of my kick but the actual growl that you're talking about is serum ah let's check that out oh so beautiful I didn't know you could resize oh, yeah, serum. Dude. But yeah, so the wave tables in here I got from this free pack, Evolution Sounds. Like basically this guy resampled like the waveforms of the sub uh, 37 Moog and like an analog one and kind of threw, <laughs> threw a pack of them. They're like, they're ridiculously thick and like just nice. They're juicy. They're like way way juicier than uh, just like a normal square is like so like jarringly like square. (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. The analog like imperfections in it make it just a lot like juicier. And so I've been using pretty much a lot of the waves from this. I think pretty much all the synths in here are, are, um, are those waves. It's a lot of subtle little movement. There's nothing like crazy though. None of it is like really doing much at all. It's pretty much the waves I've chosen. The fact that it hits a super low note, that's like a fact 
that just it makes it like like raspy like that because the whole track is in D like D zero. It's a D zero, so it's like that in itself makes it a lot fatter of a sound. If I played it up higher, yeah, D zero, but an octave higher, it doesn't sound like anything. So like, it's the fact that it's so low that just makes it you know sound like that which i mean it's not like it's not so ridiculously low but let's say if your song is in like c and you're hitting a c zero already like the sub on most most systems is like starting to drop out a little bit because it's like it's just low in terms of hertz it's just the actual sub down there when you play it live won't be as powerful so this is probably as low as you i would go really to feel like a strong clean like impact of the low end on the drop but i mean that again is not an absolute and i have done songs that hit like a c0 like at the start of the drop or whatever the other drop synth sound that you have and it sounds like it's off the grid is that correct yeah so again this is it's like the midis played i changed my workflow maybe like two three years ago now where I started doing everything on my Ableton push. And personally, for me, put the push is like a reason in itself to have Ableton. There are There is no DAW with an integrated controller like the push. And like, yes, you can still get pads, you can still get MIDI keyboards, you can still assign knobs to functions and things like that. There is no hardware controller for Logic that has menus and things like that that you know, take you through all different aspects of the software. And I guess it's not designed for that because Live has that live clip functionality and stuff, which is perfect for that kind of stuff. But anyways, so it's inputted on the push, it's played on the push, and then actually what it is. So there's a few, again, it's, everything's kind of layered. So the main like melody thing you're hearing is this, but with the chords and everything, and then with another chord layer. So it's really the way I layer the sounds that ends up making it sound like that. But the chop itself is from a vocal of mine, from gravity, <laughs> that's funny actually. Took a <laughs> took a little snip snippet of my voice in here. Um, then there's the volume envelope that makes it, you know, go wah, wah, of course. And then the MIDI, as you said, man, it's totally off the grid and kind of just like laid back and and played in to the beat, so it has that feel. In terms of mixing things, I'm basically like boosting, cutting some stuff with like dynamic EQ, isolating the high end of that. The other layers of that sound are, it looks like they're just serum patches. Did you make them or did you just find them? I, I, I really haven't downloaded any presets for things. I tend to make my own sounds and I'm really bad at cataloging things. So like I'll make this like cool chord synth, but then I won't save it anywhere. And then like all my bases, every time I go into a, a project, I basically redesign everything from the ground up. I don't know. I've always tried to do sound design as a separate step and like kind of do sound design, design a bunch of sounds and not, you know, make anything, not make a song or anything, just design individual sounds. And then kind of when I'm in the creation process, like pull from that batch of things and like say, oh, well, there's those chords I made a while ago. I think that's ideal. That's a great way to work, but I've never been able to do it. Every single time I step in to just design sounds, I end up making a song. I'm like, I just can't hold myself back from that so i'm kind of bad at keeping presets and things but but nothing nothing special just adding movement with by moving the wave wavetable position oh my roommates bring me apples (laughs) well you know when you were talking about the push i kind of kind of looked over at my push and realized i haven't been using for a while and want to let everyone know that i love you buddy (laughs) gotta show it some love man yeah anyways (laughs) 
you know, if you woke up tomorrow, everyone forgot about this song, which is really tragic, but everyone forgot about the song. You wanted to re-release it. Is there anything that you would want to change about the song before putting it back out? I mean, yes, in terms of like, and this is just me being petty, but I would kick up the vocals like one dB literally because they're just a little quiet for my taste. That's just a small change, but honestly, no, because this version is already my like reflected, like fix up version. You see what I mean? I've already gone through different versions of this song to the point that, you know, if I was going to put it out and still not be satisfied with it, it wasn't worth all the work I put in. So I made sure that this is what I wanted to put out. So this one, like, except for a couple minor, minor mix things where the vocals are a little like dull and in the background and like just small things. But honestly, I'm really happy with it. And this is this is what I wanted to make. Yeah, perfect. There isn't many things that would change. What did you find most difficult when making this track? I think there's a couple of things. First of all, definitely the vocals, because like I'm not a vocalist and I started singing really recently and it's it's a really a learning process, recording, mixing, tuning, uh, re-recording, just getting, you know, understanding how to arrange vocals and, and make them feel like, you know, there's forward movement and that there's progression. So that probably doesn't help you in terms of production, but like, like my weaknesses that were the hardest here, like the drop and things like that worked out pretty fine. Um, and it was more like adding the, like the touch of like making it organic, actually making it feel like a lot of the things were played rather than like midi in and things like that. Like you, the comments you guys made for the piano, I think I really wanted to make it feel like it was a breathing track and and didn't feel like overproduced but felt almost like played by it live i i that's that's kind of what i'm trying to get out of my music lately is just making it feel it can breathe and move and that it's not locked into a grid even though it is and things like that and the other hard aspect is just the the chemistry of like collaborating with people and you know doing obviously the final version here isn't a collaboration but it went through many iterations before that and i think just the chemistry of trying to bounce ideas off each other and, you know, fitting other people's comments into it and maintaining relationships with people and things like that. I think that's a big difficulty in this track. And sometimes the difficulty isn't in the music itself, but it's in everything that happens around the track. So would you like our feedback on your song? Oh yeah, for sure. I would love that. Sweet. My feedback is more to my own personal taste and probably not what I'd recommend to mm. do like more properly. But I, I, I mean, I'd, I'd almost like to see this song being like, seven and a half, eight and a half minutes long, where <laughs> like the vocals are 60% of the entire thing. I, I know it probably wouldn't really make sense in the current world based on how people like their track lens, but mm, uh, yeah, I just really, really cool track. And I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of those like two and a half, three minute sections without the drums in the main section. Mm. A, a really long sort of, not like teaser, but if I look through my favorite, like 20 songs, like seven or eight of them have extremely long sections without drums and the main bit. And then when everything finally comes back in, it just has that, uh, has extra impact almost. So mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. I suppose that's my only cool. real feedback. It's a really, really, really well put together song. I guess that, I guess that what you're saying right now kind of harkens back to like repurposing your song as much as you can. So like, for example, artists that are bilingual, they'll do their song in two languages to that's cool to push that's it as, cool far, as far as i can so <laughs> i mean is, is that what you're saying adam is just like you might as well you know like have like the long intro or the long verse whatever just to repurpose it kind of yeah i was that'd be one advantage but i suppose more just i personally just prefer those really long sections before everything comes back in i, I know that's not normal i suppose most people have got the 
really short attention span with these things. So you, your, your main track can't be nine minutes long, really, in, in most genres. Uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty much pushing it already, like, in terms of, like, you know, DJs being like, wait, I don't know how to mix this live. Like, it's not, like, the right format and things like that. So I definitely think I run into that issue of try, I'm trying to make it a little more free form or a little just what it needs to be as a song, but then it gets fit into the conventions of like the genre. And then basically it's like, you know, a little too long or the build's too long or things like that. So I definitely hear you on that. And if, and if I had total like roaming freedom on these things, I don't know, I might have, I might have done played a little more with that piano part and things like that. But you know, it's, I don't know. I definitely think it's a two way, like balance it's like a balancing act between like the what's asked of you in terms of what other guys are doing what you do in terms of what you've done before like live compatibility but also spotify and like headphones and at the end of the day there's too many variables to like keep everyone in mind and everything in mind so you really have to kind of just like take it to the point that you're satisfied with it but i love i love that comment that's not a comment like i've heard you know and that definitely would take it out of kind of what's standard or what's known to people or what is expected i don't know which i think music should be whatever it is not you know whatever it is within you know this build up and like this length of drop and <laughs> like not like that <laughs> yeah it's kind of tricky because you got to find that balance of mm. If, if it's so, un, if it's just too unexpected, then people won't necessarily have a chance to f- fall in love with it. Almost, so that, that's kind of the the trade off. Like, it's you almost like want the shorter version to get them excited, but then next time they listen, you you play them the full version. Almost. Right. First off, this is probably one of the most unique songs I've heard this year. Like, it's really good. Like, it's really good. Like, it's really good. Just watched a a TED talk and like how to stand out in your industry was like what what it was about. And so they kind of talk about like, you know, if you were a sheep farmer and you wanted to sell weird sheep, you should have purple sheep because it would be like, whoa, he's the only guy who has purple sheep. Like, it's amazing. So I kind of feel like in the electronic field right now, this is, I haven't heard anything like this. This is the purple sheep, man. That's cool, man. I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad you like that fact. (laughs) Yeah, man, you have successfully given birth to a purple sheep and I, I'm so proud of you. When I was listening to the the version that Rain said over, I don't know if you redid anything, but at one minute 34 and at three minutes 44 seconds, there was a click. Was that click meant to be there? I think it's the most specific feedback I've ever heard. Yeah, that's probably the most specific feedback I've ever heard. Right. I don't hear it in the release. And what's the, at the end? Three something? Yeah, 344. You stress me when you tell me things Sorry, like that. Man. Let's see. Nope. Awesome. I don't hear That's it. That's good. I'm glad you caught it. I don't hear it. Got it. Yeah, because that, that version that Rain sent over when I was listening to it, I was like, oh! Good. You see, but this is another thing that I think I avoid with the Pro Tools thing is like by seeing an overview of the channels, you can even see clicks and things like that and just like it gives you another chance to get little subtle things like this that in your actual Ableton projects if it clicked you sometimes it clicks because of latency there's all sorts of like click possibilities so you don't always like you know go in for the kill on the clicks but like in Pro Tools there shouldn't be a click anymore because everything's in audio totally so I think I got all my clicks out but that was scary next feedback I think I got for you this one's so much less scary all right this is just an idea for you I felt 
when when it was was building it was like the pre-chorus to the drop right and then you're singing and it's beautiful and it's amazing it's building it's building it's building and the drop came in it was amazing something that i felt like that could just add just a little bit more just like just like to get those fills smack just a little bit harder you know what i mean it's a technique that i that i've recently learned and so what it is is it so it's you record another portion of the vocals but when you do you just you know you do a very gentle version of singing in this song right it's very it's not very like hardcore or anything and so what you would do is you would it's like basically screaming it's like basically you know it's it's those things and you're just letting it rip you're just like uh, not screamo, but like you're just like you're yelling. You're like ah, you know, you're yelling the lyrics basically. And then what you do is you take that and then you auto tune it or you tune it to what what the melody is singing. And then you put it back in the mix. Maybe put some reverb, maybe some not. But what it does is that because it's far back in the mix and it's super auto tune, you can't really tell. But like it's still with it's still vibing, kind of adding that energy. You know, like oh, that's something crazy gonna happen. Like oh man, you know, definitely. That's a great point. That's a great point because I do think. Like actually, now that you guys are saying this, if there was one thing I would comment on is that it kind of like the energy lulls a little bit outside of the drops. I feel like it doesn't quite like get all the way up to the energy of the drop by the time like it drops. It's fine. I don't think it comes out of place or anything, but like that's exactly right. What you're saying about adding another vocal layer that has more energy that kind of gets the drive going and, and kind of anticipates like the energy that's coming up. I think that's one thing that the song would need because it goes to like zero to a hundred like just quickly yeah. and it doesn't fully like progress there i don't know totally i like that comment yeah, yeah. That, that that might help you out it's, it's really fun to do i've done it before and it's just like the energy that it adds and the final thing i have to say about your song is just like you you did a really f fantastic job with this song dude like there's something that me and uh one of my old icon teachers were talking about his name is riot we did a behind the die episode with each other but um we were talking about how like we kind of live in this day and age where like whenever you listen to someone's songs right you just like instantly skip to the drop to see if it's going to be good because the beginning is just filler it's just crap you know what i mean no one no one cares about that your song is not crap your song is not filler i can connect with literally every single part of the song whether it's the intro or the verse or the build or whatever is like each part plays a part and it's so good you did such a good job man well, thank you. Thank you. And actually, I, I have to say this now because it's surprising to it's surprising to hear that because it's only in a genre like electronic music that you could even say that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I feel like in general, in music, like for, for any of the classical composers of their time, they couldn't throw away the intro. They couldn't say like, this is my functional intro. And then here's the big theme that comes in. You just have to kind of turn a blind eye. You know, someone's mixing this in. Don't worry about this. That's that's surprising to me. And I think that can't last very long in electronic music unless we're talking about strictly club-oriented tracks, which it's sort of veering into that direction. But in anything else, folk, rock, jazz, classical, any kind of music, if we're talking about music here, there is no throwaway parts. Like, yeah. the, the, like, like the first five seconds determine whether the person will listen to it or not. It's very specific to electronic music that people are skipping to the drops and skipping to like parts in the song that are functionally a certain kind of part. Like this is the main like drop section, you know, where like the bass drops. I want to hear like how that sounds and things like that. Totally. Like, like, I, I thank you, and 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 that's a nice comment to hear. But I definitely, you know, don't think this should be an. This should be like out of 
like this shouldn't be an anomaly in electronic music. Oh, this should right. be like the standard that, you know, we take care of every part of the track and, and see it as a song. And I, I'm going to keep working like that at least and, and trying to do that. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. It's almost like, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the main bits of feedback I give to people who kind of ask me, ask me for me for feedback on tracks. Mm-hmm. It's like, like the first five seconds is the one bit of the track you know someone's going to listen to. Like mm-hmm. the, hopefully they skip through to the right bit in the drop. But you know, <laughs> like more than anything else, like, yeah. Like that's get it's almost like you look at it. The first five seconds is going to get more listen time than any other part of the track, so you shouldn't yeah. kind of take that for granted. I mean, you wouldn't watch a like if you watch like a film, for example. They don't just have fifteen minutes of filler before the action starts. They try to well, yeah. at least in a modern film, sometimes yeah. in the older ones, it wouldn't be much. But yeah, I think that's a good comment, and I think that's something that working on club tracks and drops and things like that, people are distracted from you know the other sections of the track and i have trouble adhering to kind of those norms of like having an intro and a build-up and and things that and that kind of hurts me on in that scene you know and and it's easier for me to mix my stuff than for us to kind of shop it out to a bunch of djs because when they get it it's like okay we need to like edit this because it's not exactly like the right format so i think that the demands of the industry make it hard for producers to just do music however they want because in the end they're still trying to pitch it to people and get it released and do all that stuff so it's kind of it's a double-edged sword where you're trying to like conform but in the same time, conforming makes you kind of pass with the time too. When the trends pass, you're falling into that trend. You're not like doing your own thing. You've tried to conform to a specific thing that won't last forever. We've seen trends in music come and go so fast and, 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 and endless and continuously. Anytime we thought, oh, this is it. This is the next big thing. And the only th- reason I'm saying that is because in 2012 or 11 or 10, whatever, when I was listening to like Flex Pavilion and Zed's Dead, like their remixes and, and I still listen to Zed's Dead obviously they got me into dubstep pretty much and this is you know out on their label which is really sentimental for me but it has changed so much the trend has changed so much and like who is to think that now if you're just gonna do like a trappy like track with like a chord synth drop or like growls on the drop like you know who is to say that in two years you know or three years and don't quote me on this because i'll probably be totally wrong and it'll last way longer and whatnot but what i believe is that'll fall into a niche of its own and it won't be as much in the mainstream and then there will be something else in the mainstream whereas that you know and scary monsters and nice sprites was able to come in and be like at the center of everyone's attention in two years you can't make a growl track and have that be the center of attention anymore because the number of people that will have done that so as a producer getting into the scene if you're doing the things that the is are currently trending and kind of following those conventions you're limiting your time span to how long that's going to be in for and then people will remember you for those specific things that you've done i can't really speak for anyone other than myself obviously i'm still you know working my way up and kind of trying to live from this and and make it work but i just see how you get stuck in a box if you work in the box to begin with people remember you as a producer that did this kind of thing and then whenever it changes or passes or you want to reinvent yourself it looks like you're chasing after something else or like it looks like you're trying to reinvent yourself it doesn't just look like yourself and and what you do so i think it's a really tricky thing to balance what the industry is asking of you and what you artistically want to do and kind of the feedback that people give you like that's really that balancing act for me is like the hardest part of you know what what we do if if we're talking about doing it professionally fitch thank you so much i have one i have one final question one it's quick it's easy it's important 
did you have a good time? Dude, I had a great time. I love talking to you guys. Great time, Adam. He had a great time. Not only a good time, but a great time, which is higher than a good time. It was awesome. This was really fun. Awesome, dude. Um, is there anything you want to push or say in the in the final moments we have you? Probably thank everyone for the support I've been getting and, and kind of keep your eyes peeled because there's a lot of stuff coming out and I'll be on the road soon touring. So there'll be dates announced. And thank you for everyone who's been there for the last seven years of me doing this as an amateur and kind of helping me transition into, you know, this professional thing that I'm doing now, which is a career and not just, you know, a hobby. And I'm really thankful for that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind the Dock. We really hope you enjoyed it. Did you enjoy the questions that we asked or would you have liked to hear different ones? If you're listening to this on iTunes or any other podcast related app, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. And if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, make sure to like, comment, and follow. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Dock.